A very good morning to you. Blessed Easter to each and every one of you. And indeed, He is risen. (laughs) Let's try that again. Christ is risen. risen. Indeed. Well, Pastor Anthony preached on Friday a very powerful message and declared, May the Lamb that was slain receive the reward of His suffering. Well, if you haven't caught that uh, sermon, please go back and watch it or hear it again because such a powerful message. And today we celebrate Jesus' resurrection. Well, and as Christians, um, it's actually quite easy because we celebrate this every year to acknowledge Jesus' resurrection. But allow me to bring us back to the early church and briefly explain the importance of an empty tomb because it was very difficult different for them. Well, for those who are in the century here, will you just look up and those who are online joining us, will you take a look at the screen at this uh, symbol? So to those who are here, if you look up, what do you see? Well, yeah, I can hear it in the congregation. It's a, it's a symbol of a fish. Right? You can see where the lights are, symbol of a fish. And when I was growing up, the words WWJD is frequently found uh, in the symbol of the fish. I even have it as a pencil box uh, when I go to school. Right? And it usually stands for, what would Jesus do? Well, this symbol of fish was actually the f- symbol for the early church. Right? For us today, we have the cross. Right? Sometimes we wear it around our neck as a reminder. We even have it in our house. We hang up on the wall or in front of a door to remind us that we are Christians or even publicly tell people that we are Christians. But for the early church, the cross wasn't the symbol. Instead, it was the fish, the empty fish. And why is that? Well, they remember Paul's words. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, if Christ had not risen from the dead, we would still be in our sins. To them, the resurrected Christ to, was someone so important that they will surrender their lives to. They will give up their lives to a resurrected Christ. So they used the fish as a symbol, a sign of resurrection. Well, Jesus told the disciples that even Jonah was in the belly of a big fish for three days and came out alive. And so would Jesus, after being dead for three days, came back from the grave. And this empty fish, if you can see up there, and on the screen, it's a symbol of a resurrection for the early Christian. Therefore, an empty fish symbolizes an empty tomb. That's what we, have, we are going to celebrate today, an empty tomb. Therefore, it's so, so important because it means so much to them. Well, it's easy for us, as I mentioned, right? But for the first disciples, when they first found out that the tomb was empty and Jesus was nowhere to be found, can you imagine their expression? It's not like us today. We all, yay, empty tomb, you know, and we celebrate. For them, it was a shocking revelation, a shocking news. They never expected Jesus to resurrect. Instead, they expect what a dead person should do, which is to remain dead. They did not expect Jesus to resurrect. And when Jesus died on the cross on Good Friday, their hopes died, their dreams died. Whatever that Jesus taught them, whatever that they put their hope in Jesus, it all died. They were the closest and yet they gave up. Yet, 
they felt that their hopes had died when, G- when Jesus died on the cross. Even Mary Magdalene, who had followed Jesus, who was one of the closest person to be with Jesus, who was there with him every step of the way, she too was heartbroken because they knew, they knew that when Jesus died, their hopes and their dreams had died, have died. Well, if you are hearing this and you are not a follower of Jesus, well, you are in good company, let me tell you. Well, you and the disciples, probably the same because they did not believe Jesus will resurrect three days later. If you are the disciples and you felt your hopes and dreams have died, you are in good company because the disciples too had their hopes and dreams disappeared. It has died along with, with Jesus' death. You are in good company. None of them, none of them believed and thought Jesus would rise again. But in the morning, 2,000 years ago, Mary Magdalene, not Jesus' mother, which is also called Mary, Mary Magdalene, the woman who, who Jesus had expelled numerous demons from her, followed Jesus in Galilee in Luke 8, stood with him when he was crucified. This Mary, and we are going to read from her account from the book of John, John chapter 20. Verse 1, it says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Well, this is the word of the Lord. Well, Mary went early in the morning and saw that the tombstone has been removed, taken away. And she panicked. You know, what happened? Why is it? Gone. She ran back to Peter and the other disciples. The other disciple here is John, right? And told them they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. You must remember at this point, Mary and the disciples still believed that Jesus' body, Jesus was still dead. And they thought and really maybe truly believed that the authorities took Jesus' body and laid him somewhere else. So on hearing Mary's account, Peter and John quickly ran to the tomb and John reached there first but was hesitant to go in. Instead, on the other hand, Peter went in immediately when he arrived. Well, when both disciples went in, they saw something that would give us a little bit of insight about the resurrection and what the resurrection meant to them. Well, the first item that they saw was the linen cloth. This linen cloth is used in the Jewish custom. When somebody died and buried, you use it to wrap the body. So when Jesus' body was, was missing, 
but the linen cloth that accompanied the body was laying, uh, was left behind the, in the usual position. Right? So the second item specially mentioned is the face cloth. Now this is not like in the movies, uh, somebody dieted a cloth, cover the face, then you pronounce it, Okay, it's not used for that method. Instead, the purpose of this face cloth is actually to tie, um, to tie the top of the head and the bottom of the jaw so that the mouth will not, uh, the jaw will not drop down. Right, it's to tie, that's the purpose of the face cloth. And the face cloth is also mentioned in Lazarus' story in chapter 11. And this face cloth is folded, you know, Jesus made his bed before he left, folded, put in one side. That's what mentioned in the Bible. And really the purpose of, of John to record these details is simply to say that if someone stole Jesus' body, as what Mary Magdalene has alluded to, right? She thought, you know, she went and, and told the disciples, hey, somebody stole Jesus' body. The linen cloth and the face cloth should be missing too, right? Well, if you want to steal a body, you don't go and unwrap the, the body, take out the face cloth, then you just take the body away. Even if you want to do so, the cloth would probably be a mess in the tomb, probably on the floor or on the lying down, would not be folded nicely. If you want to steal something, I probably won't be so neat and uh, particular about all this. But it wasn't so. The disciples saw a totally different picture. Bible tells us Peter went in first, followed by John. And when John entered the tomb, the Bible tells us he saw and believed. Well, he saw and believed. What did he see and what did he believe? Well, um, John wrote this account and he used three different Greek words for seeing. Our English passage may be perhaps a little bit weaker. We only use see, see, saw. Not much explanation. It's all using one word. Right? But the Greek language has different nuances. Uh, to this. So in verse 5, it says, uh, Peter, when Peter see, uh, it really means to glance in, to look, probably to just peep in. Verse 6, probably Peter took a closer look, look carefully at what is happening, where is the, what is the tomb, how does it look like, where are all the cloths. But when John looked and he saw and believed, he saw what it really means is to perceive with intelligent comprehension. He understood in his spirit. When he saw it, he understood what was happening. Might not understood in, in what is in the mind, but he saw in his spirit and he believed. Well, what then he believed? What did he believe? Well, maybe he believed Mary's words, right? Mary came to them and gave an account of what happened. And she said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they have laid him and probably the authorities have taken it away. Was it, could it be that John believed Mary's words? Well, I don't really think so because in verse 10, it tells us that Peter and John went back home. After the whole count, they saw everything. Then they went back home. Well, if they believed the body was taken away by the authorities, they would probably approach the authorities to demand the body back so they can give a proper burial. Uh, they master as much courage as they have uh, to approach the authorities because they were fearful at that point of time. But they probably would have done so. Right? So I do not believe that they think or they thought that the authorities took the body away. Well, and I want to dive a little bit deeper into the word, the word belief because in Greek, it has so much meaning to it. The word belief means in Greek, pisio, means to have faith in a person or to put your trust in someone. Right, to have faith in the 
in a person and put your trust in. And it's used in John 6, in this famous uh, verse, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes have eternal life, has eternal life. Whoever believes, believes has eternal life. In, in essence, what is, what is Jesus trying to say in John chapter 6, verse 47 is, whoever put your trust in me, whoever has faith in me, will have eternal life. And when John saw and believed, he saw an empty tomb. He saw an empty tomb and believed. And therefore, an empty tomb is a sign and a call of Jesus to his followers, which means you and me, to believe in him. An empty tomb is a sign and call of Jesus to you and me to believe in him. In fact, Jesus told his disciples multiple times, many times that he will be raised from the dead. Early in his ministry, Jesus said in John chapter 2, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. Well, there are also three things in the resurrection that I would like to highlight. First is the resurrection proves that Christ is divine. The second is the resurrection proves Christ's power to forgive sin. And the third is the resurrection proves Christ's power over death. Well, when Jesus died on the cross, it really did not prove that he is God. Because you and I, if we are crucified on the cross like the thieves, we will probably die. I think we will die. Right? So even as humans, we will die. Sicknesses, old age, we will die. But his resurrection and his fulfillment of the prophecy of his death made him divine. Well, having said that, I truly believe that he died fully human and fully divine. And when he resurrected, he was also fully human and fully divine. And this can be found in 1 Corinthians about his death and fulfillment of the scriptures. In 1 Corinthians 50, for I, Paul, Paul is trying to say this, delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised, on the third day in accordance with the scripture. Truly, Christ fulfilled scripture. Truly, he is the one divine being. And we declare it all the time. If you join us multiple times on our worship service, you know that we read and declare the Apostle Creed. That is why we put it into our worship service. The pastors discussed, we thought that it's important. It's important to declare who Jesus is. And this is one short uh, segment I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. On the third day, He rose again from the dead, ascended to heaven, and seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. There, from there, He will come to judge the living and the dead. Friends and family and those joining us online, the importance of knowing that Christ is divine, His resurrection proves that he is a divine being. And for those who are not followers of Jesus, let me tell you, when you give your life to him, what essentially you are saying is that when, when you turn your allegiance to him, to trust a divine being who have came down to earth to die on the cross for you, this divine being cares and loves you so much. He is not someone far away. He is not someone who leaves you on your own. Instead, he has sacrificed his life 
now he is resurrected. And when he has resurrected, he can save you for eternity. And this is what Jesus has done for you. So I ask that you think carefully, consider prayerfully to give your life to Jesus and join him by accepting, accepting him into your life. Allow me to move on about the second point of resurrection. Because the resurrection affirms that Christ has the power to forgive sin, our sins, your sin, my sin. 1 Corinthians 15 again tells us, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Essentially what it means is that if, since Christ has been raised, your faith is worthy enough. What you believe in and who you trust, you are worthy enough. You are no longer worthless. And you are no longer in your sin because He has the power to break the bondage of sin. He has the authority and the power to give you a, a life, an eternal life, a, the gift of salvation. At the Jordan River, John the Baptist was baptizing people and he saw Jesus approaching him. And John the Baptist declared, Here is the Lamb of God who take away the sin of the world. And that is Jesus himself. And the first message Jesus preached, the first message, imagine, so important. In Mark, it says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. That is the message that he has given to us. He has preached to us. So when Jesus died on the cross, when he was crucified, the blood, his blood is sufficient to cover your sins, cover my sins. The mistakes that you made, both in your own life or even at work, the hurtful words you said to your loved ones, maybe accidentally, maybe purposefully, the anger you unleash to the people around you, the shame and the guilt that you feel every day for the mistakes that you made. Well, let me assure you, family and friends, brothers and sisters, Jesus' blood is enough, more than enough, to cover the sins and the mistakes that you have made. And the empty tomb is the evidence, is the proof that He has the power to forgive your sins. But I just want to invite you, you know, if you're again not a follower of Jesus, let me invite you to see for yourself that God has the power to forgive your sins and to love you. And there's a, and there's a tremendous promise for you to hear, which is found in 1 John 1. But if we, if we confess our sins to God, He can always be trusted to forgive us and take away our sins. He can always be trusted. So come and see for yourself. Come and believe in Christ so that you can see His power and see that He indeed has forgiven your sins. But the third thing the resurrection revealed to us is Christ's power over death. Well, that's quite obvious, right? Resurrected means He has conquered death and we have proclaimed it over and over again. But if I to ask you personally, not in a public setting, but in a personal manner, if I will ask you, are you afraid to die? No, I am. I am. Because we are afraid to die in one way or another. Maybe it's because of the pain that we have to go through before we die. Like we see our loved ones going through pain. It is very sad and, and there's fear in it. Or maybe there is 
a fear that you'll be a burden to somebody before you pass on because of illnesses and many other reasons. Or maybe you're worried about the unknown, what's going to happen after you pass on. Or maybe you're worried and fearful of the separation between you and your family. And many other reasons. Well, some of you might have seen this news uh, up on the screen. Right now, that this young man who is a grab delivery driver recently had passed away at the age of 24, left behind a wife with an unborn baby. And that's saddening. That's a sad news. When I read it, I was filled with sadness, grief, pain. And we see really this accident cut short someone's life at the age of 24. And I'm sure... If I ask any of you here, you know people who have died even at a younger age, teens, baby. Life can be short for some of us. Life is short for your loved ones. I want to pause and ask, ask you to ask this question to yourself and even ask you if you have asked this question to yourself. And the question is, what if you are the next? What if you go to the hospital and you hear bad news from the doctor? What if you go to work and your boss call you in to retrench you? What if you go home and you find out that your spouse betrayed you or your ch- child left the house? What if? Well, all these news of bad news in the world really bombard us and make us fearful and frightened at times, paralyzed even in fear. But if we know and we are truly know that and we are so certain of who we are in Christ and what Christ has done for us, we will not be filled with fear. Because we know that Christ has conquered it all. And we understand the principle of what Christ has done. And this is found in Romans 6. Christ rose from the dead and will never die again. Death no longer has any power over Him. And the beautiful words in Jesus and you believe in Jesus, these beautiful words, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Wonderful words, right? If you put your trust in Him. I am the resurrection and the life. And this resurrection is the proof that Jesus has conquered death. So I ask, I ask again, believe and put your faith in Him. Believe in what He has done. He is the resurrected Jesus. But as humans, you know, it's difficult. Because how can we believe in Christ? How can we believe in the resurrection if we can't see it? We can't see it with our physical eyes. How can we see the empty tomb when our problems are in front of us? How can we experience Jesus when we face unreasonable people at work or even at home? Our children are rebellious. Our parents are unreasonable and the list goes on and on. How can I experience Jesus? How can I have faith when every time I move, there's a pain in my body? Every few days, I must, I must visit the doctor. I must eat my medicine. How can I even have faith in God? Where is God in this? Unlike Peter and John, we too are not at the tomb, right? We can't run to the tomb and see an empty tomb. We can't. We can't see Jesus not lying in the tomb. Neither can we see His resurrected body on earth. But Hebrews 11 tells us and gives us this hope 
this hope of assurance, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And this faith, if you want to have it, comes by hearing the word and the word of Christ. Now the secret of faith is really in what we hear, with what we take in with both our ears and our eyes. But as humans, it's difficult. I know it's difficult. I too face difficulty. It's difficult because we are so trained to reason with our minds, to see physically, to believe by touching, by hugging, by loving. We really end up like the disciples, as I mentioned just now at the start of the sermon. We are like the disciples. For those of us here who have, have had the privilege to experience Jesus touching you, the Jesus love. But maybe over time, we are like the disciples when we see Jesus on the cross. Our hopes and dreams have died. We feel far away. We feel ashamed of what we have done. Maybe it's a sickness that afflicted us right now. Maybe it's a business failure, a broken marriage, a spouse betrayal, or for the younger ones, a test, a failure in a test or an exam or rejection by university or company. Well, this morning, I want to invite you to be like Peter and John, to be like the disciples once, once again, to run to the tomb and run in faith. Run to the tomb in faith to see for yourself, see that the Lord has risen, see that your hopes were once dead, but now in Christ it is risen. So when you place your faith in the resurrected Christ and really believe in your heart that the tomb is empty, you will see the power of a risen, resurrected Jesus in your life. So I invite you to come and believe that Christ is the divine God, the divine being who loves you so much, who have never forsaken you and died on the cross for you. Come again and see Jesus who has the power to forgive our, your sin and conquered death. Matter the amount of mistakes that you made, matter the things that you said, He has the power to love you and forgive you for what you have done. Come and live a victorious life in Jesus. And an empty tomb is really a sign, a sign like a fish for you and for me to come and see and believe. In a few moments, I, will, I really want to pray for us all and I believe our resurrected Lord Jesus is calling two groups of people. Well, the first group is for those who do not know Him. This is your first time and this is an opportunity for you to believe and accept Him as Lord and Savior. Today, I want to invite you to take that step of faith forward. You might not know what's going to happen. You might not even know who He is, who He is, who He really is. But I want to invite you to take that step and believe that the tomb is empty. Jesus is the resurrected being. He is really alive. Will you trust and believe Him? The second group of people is, are those who once knew Him. Maybe for those, um, long time before you come back to church, long time before you hear a message, the Word of God, and you feel that He is really far away from you. Or maybe you are going through some difficulties in your life. You've been praying and praying and seeking Him, but you feel that He is far away from you. Maybe it's a sickness, a work issue, a household relationship problem that you can't solve on your own, but your prayers are unanswered. 
for you once also come to the tomb and see for yourself in faith and believe that He is alive? Would you come and trust Him once again? That your hopes and dreams are not dead. You, like the disciples, once thought that He is dead, but no, He is alive. He is resurrected. Would you place your trust in Him? So come, let's pray. I just want to pray for the first group of people before I'll pray for the second group. Just to give you some time and a few moments to make this decision in your heart. And later as I pray, will you just raise your hand in faith? God is the one watching. Not me, not the person beside you. God is the one looking at you. Those who want to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, will you join me in this prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. I acknowledge that I am a sinner and I want you to be my Savior. Will you come into my life and my heart today and be the Lord of my life? I give you my life this morning. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, for the second group of people, I want to pray for you too. If you feel God is far away or like the disciples, you feel that your dreams and your hopes are dead, would you join me in this prayer and in your heart believe in the resurrected Jesus? Father, we come before you as your beloved child, as your son, as your daughter. Stir in our hearts a desire to yearn for you to yearn more for you, even though we feel so far away, even though we feel ashamed of, turn, of us turning our backs to you, even though we have made mistakes, we have said unkind words to you, even though we feel hurt in our hearts, even though we feel so unloved, Lord, help our hearts, turn our hearts to you, come and Give us this peace in our hearts, assurance that you are with us every step of the way, that you have never left us nor forsaken us. And let us experience your love, amazing love, and touch us once again with the Holy Spirit. So Spirit of God, as we continue to seek you, touch the hearts of those who yearn and desire for you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.